Good morning. The message this morning is going to be brought to you by Billy Canerium. He is the one who's um, probably going to be our next youth minister, and I'm excited about it. Uh, the more I get to know this guy, the more I really see his heart, the more excited I get. Um, there's a really thorough bio in your bulletin today. I encourage you to read it. He's going to share some of the facts uh, from his military background, his youth ministry experience. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff. He went to Johnson. That's, that's a big thing for me. But um, the stuff that's really impressed me as I've gotten to know him is um, just who he is as a man. He really loves his wife and his daughter. Um, I really love um, talking to him about youth ministry. He, he's obviously just, he really loves the kids. Um, even uh, one, of the, one of the guys who recently, he was an adult, but he used to be one of his youth group. He recently was killed. That kind of just, every, he put everything on hold to be with that guy because he loved him as a person, not just as a responsibility. And those are the kind of things that we've been praying for. Those are the kind of things we've been asking God for. That's something super important to me as someone who will love the kids here. And he's already, in the weeks since he first visited, uh, been asking me by name about several of the teens that he'd met and praying for them. So I'm super excited about that. And then got to hear this message already once this morning. And I, I do don't know how you can not be nervous and do that great <laughs> of a job, but it was awesome. Uh, would you welcome Billy Canerium? Well, good morning. As John said, I am uh, a candidate for the youth ministry position here. Uh, he did not mention that we are from Florida currently, and when he mentioned that there would be a vote, it made us very nervous because Floridians and voting has been a, a long-seated struggle for us. Uh, I, I, love, I love my friends in Florida, but every time it's an election cycle, it gets a little a little weird. Um, so I am, uh, I am happy to be here this morning. Uh, I want to tell you just a little bit about myself before I get started. There is a, a bio, as John mentioned, in the bulletin as an insert, but in case you don't want to read, um, I wanted to give you just a, a, a little brief uh, information about me. I have been uh, in youth ministry now uh, for nine and a half years at the church that I'm currently at. I did graduate from Johnson. Uh, I, I joke with people in Florida. I don't know how many of you uh, know this, but uh, Florida Christian College uh, a couple of years ago became Johnson University's Florida campus. And so when I tell people I've, I'm a graduate of Johnson, I say, well, from the real one up here and not. Uh, they don't like it as much. They don't think it's nearly as funny as I do, but uh, that's a lot of my jokes. So they have to learn, uh, I guess, to be okay with it or that I have to learn to be okay with them not laughing about it. So I, uh, I spent six years in the Army uh, after graduating from high school and before going to Johnson, and so I've had uh, a lot of opportunity to, uh, to do some, some interesting things. I'm originally from New York. I uh, lived in New York, New Jersey. I've lived a little bit in Indiana and uh, probably the majority of time in Florida, a little bit of time here, uh, like I said, when I went to Johnson. So I've had the opportunity to live in a wide variety of places, give me a lot of different experiences. Uh, so if you will, if you have your Bible with you, uh, if you will turn with me uh, to the book of Nehemiah. It's an Old Testament book. Uh, it is uh, chapter 4 that we're going to be specifically looking at uh, this morning. Uh, while you're turning, uh, I want to give you a little bit of background information. Uh, since we're not going to do the entire 
book of Nehemiah this morning. Uh, John said that, that would probably not go over very well. Uh, so we're just going to focus on one chapter, but the rest of them are important too. But I want to give you a little bit of background information leading up to the story we're going to talk about. Uh, so while you're turning there, uh, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king of Persia. And the cupbearer is an essential position. He is a very trusted advisor to the king. In fact, he literally holds the king's life in his hands. Because before the king eats or drinks anything, it goes to the cupbearer. And if the cupbearer falls over dead, the king's like, I, I think I'm going to order something different. Uh, and so this is a very trusted advisor to him. Um, and so as you read through Nehemiah, you come to the second chapter of the book, and the king notices that something is off, and something is uh, bothering Nehemiah. And this is not someone, you know, this person is responsible for your life. You don't want them to be upset. And so he asks, he's like, what, what's bothering you? And so Nehemiah goes on to explain to the king that he's distraught about Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a Jewish man, and uh, Jerusalem was his people. And recently, a, a remnant of Jewish people had returned uh, to Jerusalem, and the city was unprotected because there wasn't a wall there. And so Nehemiah goes on to make a very bold request of the king, that the king would allow him to leave the king's side. Well, again, that would be a big deal and let him go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of the city. Now this boldness of Nehemiah doesn't come out of, and just doesn't come out of nowhere. He had prepared for the moment in advance. As you read through the story of Nehemiah, you notice a man of preparation. He prepared himself first by praying to God, praying that he would find favor with the king. And when the opportunity came, because he had prepared himself in advance in prayer, Nehemiah was bold enough to seize that opportunity. And not only was he bold enough to seize the opportunity, but he was also prepared with what he would need in the event that the opportunity came. And so we read about Nehemiah asking the king for letters to the governors of the Trans-Euphrates region that he would have to travel through to get to Jerusalem, asking for safe travel. And letters to the, uh, the person in charge of the king's forests and his resources, asking for the supplies that he would need to rebuild the city walls. So Nehemiah finally gets to Jerusalem and starts to make preparations for rebuilding this wall. Now this brings us to the fourth chapter. Now I don't want to discount or gloss over the rest of the book of Nehemiah because there's a lot of really important things in there. There's an amazing story of what this man does. But I want to focus this morning on chapter 4. Many times when we are preparing, we forget to prepare for what most often deters us, the opposition. Whether or not you believe in God, opposition is coming. We as Christians are not promised that it won't. In fact, just the opposite is true. But still we often fail to prepare for it. As soon as Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and starts sharing his plan with the people, with the remnant of, uh, of Israel that had returned there, he's immediately met with opposition, primarily by two men, two rulers in the area named Sanballat and Tobiah. They don't want to see the city walls rebuilt because that would threaten their power and their authority. Now, I'm not uh, very familiar with Kingston yet, uh, but I wanted to make sure... Uh, that you understood the importance of these walls. Kingston doesn't have a city wall, right? I didn't, I didn't miss that in passing. Okay, uh, back then, it was vital for you to have these walls. Now, we don't really 
find them very often, except as a ruin of some bygone error. But back then, if you did not have your, wall, your walls up around your city and your protection there, anybody could just come in and take you over. And there was constantly struggles and battles uh, in areas. And so these city walls were vital for Jerusalem to be restored. And so these two men, Tobiah and Sanballat, come and they start to poke holes in all of Nehemiah's plans. They start to mock and make fun of Nehemiah. They start to talk to the people, say, really? He's gonna have you build a wall? Have you seen him build anything? You know, do you even know how to build a wall? You're his labor crew? Like, they start to just mock and, and poke fun. Uh, at one point they say, if a fox were to jump up on that wall, it would just fall over, you know, it's just so horrible. And try to discourage the people. And they planned that if that did not work, they would come in force and stop them. But Nehemiah was prepared for the opposition. He had a plan. Like we read earlier in the story, his plan started with prayer. This morning I want to talk to you uh, for a few moments about being prepared for opposition. I'll say again that all of us will face opposition. None of us are immune. In fact, you may likely face more opposition after becoming a Christian than you ever did before. The difference for Christians is Jesus. He makes a huge difference. Our faith doesn't exempt us or uh, make us immune to opposition, even though sometimes we feel like it does. Sometimes we behave as if it does. Through the years, I've told uh, students as we've talked about being baptized and as we've talked about professing uh, Jesus as Lord, I said, listen, everything's not going to be perfect. In fact, you will probably face more opposition from the enemy now than you ever have before this point in your life. Really happy conversation that we have with them. And they're like, well, why are you telling me this? Like, I'm telling you because... Oftentimes we think, well, I gave my life to Jesus and then he didn't make everything okay. So that Jesus thing didn't work. But we were never promised that that was how it would happen. And so tell them, listen, after you make this decision, you are telling the world whose side you're on. And before, you hadn't really picked one yet. And so you may not have seen the whole lot of opposition. Maybe you did. But now that you've declared which side you're on, you will face opposition from the enemy. We don't become immune to or exempt from opposition just because of our faith. We're just better able to be prepared for it. And we don't have to face it alone. All throughout Scripture, we are told to prepare for opposition. Jesus himself, in John chapter 16, verse 33, it's written in red letters so that you know that it's important, right? He says, in this world, you will have struggle, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't say, for take heart because you're an American and it'll be okay. He doesn't say, take heart because, you know, you're, you're fairly attractive and you'll make it. He doesn't say, take heart for, um, you know, you're, you have a good job and, and you make enough money, you'll be all right. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. All that opposition that's coming, it's okay. You'll make it through me. I've already conquered it. He doesn't promise us immunity. He just promises to be with us and that he's already gone before us and conquered it. A thorough reading and understanding of Scripture and of our faith doesn't give us false promises that we'll never face opposition. 
but it does give us the promise that we don't have to face it alone. One of my favorite scriptures is in the book of Exodus. In chapter 14, verse 14, it says, God will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to do anything. It doesn't mean just sit there and you'll be fine, but it means you only have to go with him. Just follow. He'll fight for you. Everyone faces opposition. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to face it alone. Now, sure, maybe your opposition looks different from someone else's. You guys live in Tennessee and I live in Florida, so maybe our oppositions are different. But I think that we can find some common ground in some areas that we find opposition. The first one being in circumstances. Oftentimes, our circumstances become our biggest obstacle. Maybe like me, the early years of your life were filled with a lot of moves and divorce and chaos and struggle. Maybe you've always struggled with financial situations and that's always been a burden for you. Maybe if you're honest, maybe you're kind of lazy and that creates an obstacle for you. Or maybe you're just tired and worn out and it causes you not really have a whole lot of energy or motivation. Regardless of what your circumstances are, your circumstances may bring you opposition. The second thing that I think is really common for opposition is our relationships. Now, I don't mean the person that you're dating or the person that you're married to, just, uh, just those people, but your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and the people that you go to school with and the people that you uh, see at the grocery store, just the relationships with people in general. Bullying, distraction, habits, death of someone that you love, the struggle that someone you love is going through. Our relationships can cause us to face obstacles. And sometimes our relationships can be opposition for us. That family member that you haven't talked to in a really long time, that friend that you've kind of cut out because of something that happened. Our relationships can often become obstacles for us in our faith. And then the third area that I think we can find common ground in obstacles is in spiritual opposition. And this is where I want to focus this morning, on spiritual warfare. Because we are all in a battle every day. It's not on the news and we don't, we don't see it necessarily. I can't look down the aisle here and see an enemy with my eyes. But we are all engaged in a spiritual battle every day with Satan being our opposition. And he will use all kinds of things to distract us and to try to pull us away from God and pull us away from what God is calling us to our circumstances, our relationships, our mood, our energy level, all of these things can be used to distract and deter us from God. Nehemiah could have easily seen his circumstances as obstacles that could not be climbed. He's got a group of people that he has to convince what to do. He has uh, other, area, other authorities in the area that are trying his heart, their hardest to get him to stop. And he could have seen all of that and said, you know, uh, I'm the king's cupbearer. I'm a well-trusted advisor to the king. I'm just going to go back to Persia. I'm sorry, Jerusalem. I, I tried it. But he didn't. Instead, he prepared himself for the battle that lied ahead. In Nehemiah chapter 4, if you've, if you've got that turned to in your Bible, we're going to look in verse 6. It says, so we built the wall 
And all the wall was joined together to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, when they heard that the repairing the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Nehemiah prepared himself and steadied himself and the people that were with him for the opposition that was coming. Every day we find ourselves in the midst of this opposition and a spiritual battle. We need to be prepared for the battle that we're in. As a part of my journey, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I had the opportunity to be in the Army. I spent six years in the National Guard. I got to meet a a great many wonderful people. I got to uh, have experiences that I never would have gotten to do outside of uniform. I get to fire a missile off my shoulder that I had no business even playing with. Uh, I was in an air defense artillery unit, and that was our... Uh, Those were our toys, were missiles, but I was a chaplain's assistant. And so my job was to make sure that the unit uh, was cohesive and that if there was any problems going on, that they were addressed, uh, and also to make sure that all of the soldiers had opportunity uh, to be spiritually fed. Well, the military has a superstition about chaplains that that a chaplain has like a bat phone to God. And that the chaplain at any time could pick up the phone and just call God to smite you. And so anytime a chaplain would ask for something, he would normally get it. And so we were out at our annual training, and the chaplain walked up, and I was walking with him. He said, hey, can my assistant fire that missile? Uh, Sure. So I got to fire a stupidly expensive missile at something that I didn't even hit because I had no idea what I was doing. But I got to have all these wonderful experiences uh, in my time in service. But they trained us constantly not only to be prepared, but for battle. Now, obviously, the battle that they were training us for is not the battle we're talking about this morning. I mean, we're talking about a spiritual battle that we're facing every day, and the army was preparing us for a physical battle. But I learned some lessons in my time in the army that really translated well over to this spiritual battle. And I wanted to share some of those with you this morning. The first one is to get a team around you. Nehemiah got the people of the city to work together. If you skip down a little bit to verse 15 in chapter 4, you see him say, that when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each with his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Nehemiah got a team of people around him. There's a great many things that you can't do by yourself, or at least shouldn't. You can't ride a seesaw by yourself. Be really boring. You can't play hide and seek or tag by yourself. Please don't ever play freeze tag out in public by yourself. And somebody come past you, what are you doing? Playing freeze tag. With who? Me. You look really silly doing that, right? You can't gossip alone. It's a really good lesson for a lot of us to remember. You can't sing a duet alone. You need that second part. You can't get a hug by yourself. This is just not the same as coming from somebody else. You can't play Marco Polo alone. 
You're just out in a field shouting Marco. And you shouldn't do battle alone. You don't have to. In fact, we were never called to. When I was in the army, we never went anywhere by ourselves. We always had to have somebody with us. You were a part of a unit surrounded by other soldiers who were also preparing for the same battle. You never thought to go anywhere by yourself, and you especially never thought to go to war alone. That would be really silly, right? You just pick up your phone and say, hey, Kim Jong, yeah, um, it, I've had enough. I'm coming to battle. Tuesday, I'll be there. What, me and what army? Just me. He'd say, okay, come on. And we shouldn't do that in a spiritual battle either. It would be really silly if you heard that news story. East Tennessee soldier on his way to fill in the blank country to have a war by himself. You would probably laugh and cry at the same time for that poor young uh, individual, right? But we do that in a spiritual battle all the time. We say, Satan, I'm done. All right, you and I, we're going to fight. And he says, all right, who are you bringing with you? You and what army? Just me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on, I got this. We step into a spiritual battle alone all the time, and we're not supposed to. We need to surround ourselves with people that are preparing for the same battle, good friends and people that share our faith and that will hold us accountable, call us out when we're doing something wrong, when we're starting to go down a path that we shouldn't be on, say, hey, you know, listen, you, this isn't good for you. We need to get someone to disciple us someone that maybe is a little bit farther along in their faith, maybe a little bit older than us, someone who's been there and could teach us, someone that can challenge us and that help us to grow. And then we need to do that for somebody else as well. We need to partner together so we don't have to do everything alone. I, I don't know what you guys call it here, so I use the term that we use at the church I'm at, which is community groups. But you need to be involved in a Bible study or a small group, or um, a group of people that are doing this journey together. They're challenging each other to grow. They're holding each other accountable. They're teaching each other so that we're not alone in the battle. You wouldn't go alone into a war if you were part of the army, and you shouldn't go into a spiritual battle alone either. We need to get a team of people around us. The second lesson that I learned was to have your weapon ready. Oh, the weapon we had to get ready in the, in the army was definitely different than what Nehemiah was talking about and what we would be talking about in a spiritual realm, but we had to have our weapon ready. Nehemiah made sure that even while working on the wall, they had their weapons ready and prepared in case the opposition should happen to come. If you continue in verse 17, he says, those who were building on the wall carried the burdens and were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sat with his trumpet was beside me. In the National Guard, we, we had our weapon and we knew how to use it. We had it ready all the time, and it had to always be with us. We had a, a guy that, uh, when I was in basic training, that uh, wound up finding himself crawling on his face 
through the dirt and the ice in the middle of uh, October, late October, early November to go back to his tent to get the rifle that he had forgotten. We had a, a man that left his rifle on the step of his five-ton truck and proceeded to run it over on the interstate, causing us to spend hours looking for every little piece of the weapon until we found it because it, the value that was placed on it was you had to have everything and you knew what it was. We spent hours at basic training knowing how to tear apart and put back together the rifle blindfolded. You knew it just by touch because they wanted to know that our weapon was ready. It always had to be with us. My favorite story, uh, in 2004, we were on hurricane duty. Florida had four hurricanes come through and the last one hit the panhandle. And so as we were traveling across the panhandle of Florida to go help with relief from Hurricane Isaac, our last little stretch was about three hours. And the commander said we weren't gonna get to stop. Now, if you've ever had the opportunity to drive in a Humvee, not the civilian version of a Hummer, but a, a military Humvee, if you, tr- if you struggle to sleep, go for a ride. It hums you to sleep. It just rattles and, and vibrates. And so loud, the engine is you know, right there in there with you, and it's so loud that you can't really have much conversation because you're going to lose your voice about five minutes after shouting. And so it was really difficult to stay awake. So we would bring a lot of caffeine with us to try to stay awake. So we had all of our caffeine ready and we realized three hours with a lot of coffee and a lot of soda and no stops, it's gonna be a really bad combination. But the commander was adamant. He said, we have a place to be and we need to get there, we're not stopping. So we're driving along I-10 and traffic comes to a dead stop. And it only took a couple of minutes before somebody finally said, I'm done. I've got, to, I've got to use the bathroom. And we're stopped. I don't know how long it's going to be. If you've ever been stuck in traffic when you had to go to the bathroom, it could be 30 seconds. It seems like forever. And so as soon as the first person opened the door to the Humvee and got out, it was a chain reaction. And before, before more than a minute went by, 400 National Guardsmen in full battle rattle with their weapons, because you can never leave it, were making our way quickly to the tree line on the side of Interstate 10. Our commander happened to be coming along in his personal vehicle behind us, probably because he had stopped to use the bathroom, and he saw 400 army soldiers in full gear carrying our weapons running over the berm to the tree line, and he came and got our commander of our convoy and just starts to just scream and yell and tear him apart. He's like, sir, they had to use the bathroom. He goes, I don't care what they're doing. You didn't see the look on the people's faces in their cars that think we're invading whatever small town is on the other side of that berm. They don't know what's causing the traffic up ahead, and now the army is bugging out and going to the tree line with their weapons. We always had to have it with us, and it always had to be ready. We spent countless hours at the range, zeroing it in and knowing exactly how to use it. We were experts with this weapon. Why? Because if it wasn't with you, it didn't do you any good. You you could get uh, badges and awards and ribbons and stuff for how well you fired your weapon, but it didn't matter how many of those you had on you, if you were in battle and you didn't have a weapon with you, it didn't do you any good. We had to know how to clean it and prepare it care for it and use it. 
In our spiritual battle, we do not get an M16. That would not do us any good. But we've been given Scripture. We've been given God's Word and told, this is your weapon. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is our spiritual weapon. We need to know how to care for it. We need to have it prepared. We need to know how to use it. And it needs to be with us. Now, I don't necessarily mean always have this book in your hand because I don't know what you do for a living, but some of those jobs might get really difficult to do one-handed. But we need to have this prepared and ready for us. I don't know how you do with uh, memorization. I, I personally struggle with memorization. I don't know how well you do with a quiet time and an intentional study of God's Word and reading Scripture. But we have to have it at the ready for it to be any good for us. If we walked into a spiritual battle having seen one, owning one, but never really knowing what it says or how to use it, we're unprepared and have no weapon in that battle. We need to know how to use this. If you look at uh, Jesus' temptation in the Gospels, all of his answers to Satan are Scripture. Now, that might be an unfair example, and you say, well, of course he had it memorized. It was Jesus. But can't we at least know enough what it says? Okay, I can't quote it word for word, but I know where it is. I know where to find it, right? I know how to use this. I can't just go, um, Isaiah 54 says, and not have any idea what it, it might not even be useful for you, right? We have to know what it says and how to use it so that it is a weapon prepared for us in our spiritual battle. And then the third lesson that I learned was to be ready to stand to. Now, stand to is a really fancy army word for go lay in the dirt. Everyone would have a fighting position, and at stand to time, you went to your fighting position and you scanned your zone and you'd have overlapping areas, and, and you just sat there and you waited, and you watched the horizon to see if anybody was coming. My favorite, most boring thing to do. Why? Well, because the enemy will attack you when you're not ready. Stand to happens at two times during the day, before dawn and at dusk. About 4.45 in the morning, 5 o'clock, somewhere around there, we'd have to get out of our beds and go lay in our hole, go lay in our fighting position and scan the horizon. And at the evening time, we'd have to go back to that fighting position and scan the horizon. Because the enemy does not call ahead and ask, hey, Tuesday at 3 o'clock, I was wondering, would you be available for a fight? But he will come and attack us when we are not ready. The military has learned that so will our physical enemy. In battle and through the years and years of battles that uh, humanity has experienced, we have learned that the most likely time to be attacked is early in the morning before you're even really awake. And at the end of the day, when you've let your guard down and said, whew, I made it through Tuesday. 
and you're most likely to be attacked in those moments because you're unprepared. And so stand to is when you are preparing intentionally during your moments of weakness and your moments that you would normally be caught off guard. And spiritually, we need to be ready to stand to. Because like any other battle, Satan is not any different than any other enemy. He will attack us when we're not ready, when we're not prepared for it. He will take every opportunity to catch us off guard, to catch us unaware, and to catch us unprepared. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not just waiting for, you know, to be bored and come after us. He's always constantly looking for that moment when we're not prepared and says, aha, now I can try. And so we need to spiritually stand to and find those moments where you say, you know, this is a moment of weakness for me. Maybe you're a morning person and you say, man, if you want to come in the morning, this, I got this, let's go. I am not one of those people. Maybe you're a late night person. You say, you know, evening time, I'm, I'm good. I'm just getting started at nine o'clock at night. Let's, let's go. But find those areas where you're weakest and where you're most vulnerable and stand too and be prepared because that's when he's going to come and attack. He won't call ahead. He won't make it convenient. He's kind of a, he's kind of a bully that way. Reading through the story of Nehemiah, we see a man who was prepared a man who predicated his preparation on complete reliance upon God. We repeatedly see him go to God in prayer before he starts his preparations and asks God to be with him. Nehemiah was aware of the opposition that he would face. He knew about Sanballat and Tobiah. He knew that the people of Israel had kind of a history of being a stiff-necked, stubborn people that might be hard to motivate to get to do something. He knew about the opposition going in, and he prepared for it. He did not let it deter him from his, from his plan. We are every day in a battle, in a spiritual battle, and we need to prepare for that fight. Because the enemy will be coming. Just because you have given your life to Jesus, which not to diminish. Right? That is the most amazing thing that we get the opportunity to do. But that doesn't make us immune to opposition. In fact, it's like raising up a flag and sounding the horn to say, come and get me. And we need to be prepared for the battle. We had an expression in the army when we were getting ready for going into, in my case, fortunately, it was always a training of a battle. But they say, it's time to get your paint on. And spiritually speaking, we need to get our battle paint on. We need to find a group of people that are preparing for the same journey as us, that are on the same path, that are chasing after the same faith and the same God, and walk alongside them and put a team around us and say, listen, could we not do this by ourselves? You're going to come to my house on Wednesday and study? Can I help you to learn this a little bit better? Can, can I just walk along with you while you struggle with this? We need to get the weapon ready. 
God has granted us the great honor that we have His Word that has been preserved for us through many, many years and has never changed or altered or shifted. And He's prepared for us His Word as a weapon in a spiritual battle so that we would have something to fight with. Maybe you're not very good at memorization. Uh, I am not either. But we can read, we can study, and we can make every effort to know how to use that weapon so that when the battle comes, and you notice that I intentionally don't say if, but when that battle comes, all right, let's go. You want to come? You want to come at me? I've got my weapon ready. And then we need to spiritually be ready to stand to, to be on our guard, to figure out what's our, what, what are our areas of weakness? What are the moments that if, if someone were to attack us then, we would be so in trouble because we wouldn't be ready? We need to be prepared for the battle. We need to have our paint on so that when opposition comes, we don't stand unprepared and we're not overtaken by an enemy that has weapons that we can't overcome. We will face opposition. But take heart, for Jesus has already conquered the world. This morning, like every week, I want to give an offer, an, uh, an offer of an opportunity to accept an invitation. Jesus willingly offered to us salvation through the cross. I said, listen, you're not going to like it necessarily all of the time, and it's not always going to be easy, but I have conquered the world, and you just come with me. And he paid for all of our mistakes, and he paid for our sins, and covered it all over so that we wouldn't have to, because we couldn't. And he invites us to join in that salvation with him. As of this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, and you say, listen, I've heard you talk about Jesus this morning. I've heard John talk about it before. I've heard of this so many times, but I've never really accepted it. Would you make today the morning that you say, all right, I want to accept Jesus. If you accepted him last week or last month or 20 years ago, and you say, you know, I, I kind of, I've got a little bit, a little bit sidelined on it. I need to be better prepared. And you want somebody to pray for you and reestablish that relationship between you and Jesus. Would, would you accept that invitation this morning? John will be here. Uh, you can come and talk to me if you want to and, and pray, and we'll be happy to pray for you. If you just need somebody to pray for you because life is difficult and you need somebody to stand in the gap for you, would you accept the invitation to let somebody do that and be a part of your team? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much that you love us enough to die for us and that you have given us all of the tools that we need in the battle against the spiritual realm. Help us to be prepared for opposition, to place all of our trust and our hope in you who have already conquered the world. Thank you so much for loving us, Jesus. We ask your presence in our life and your hand on us. In your name, amen.